0: Welcome to the Industrial IoT Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. After the Senate voted to save net neutrality last week, its future remains in the balance. The Obama-era regulations, which prevent internet providers from speeding up or slowing down specific web content, affects consumers, businesses, and industries in a variety of ways. Today, we'll be talking to Enrique Sotomayor, co-CEO of Economy, to clue us into how the concept of net neutrality affects cryptocurrency. Enrique, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you for coming on and help clarify how one of these really emerging technologies is affected by its relationship to the internet. I think it's a really interesting topic, and I'm excited to get into it. So why don't we just get right into it? I'd like to know your thoughts on the relationship between net neutrality and cryptocurrency on a general level. Um, How do they affect one another? What is their relationship like? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I think the game theory
1: is pretty interesting here. Cryptocurrency is all about decentralization. It's all about not having any central uh, or any single point of failure that could really destroy our whole business model. Um, and if net neutrality, if internet service providers decide that, hey, we're using all these resources, uh, whether it's for like processing transactions of cryptocurrencies or for whatever reason, if cryptocurrencies are determined to be consuming a lot of resources and they try to bundle them into more expensive group, that I think could actually accelerate the process and evolution of decentralization on the internet. I think a lot more people will start building dApps, decentralized applications uh, that could sort of exist outside of the FCC's domain. Um, So I I really don't think that ISPs are incentivized right now to try to throttle these cryptocurrencies. And um, I'm also not 100% sure on If slower transaction fees necessarily means to like any change in your price, we know a bunch of cryptocurrencies have super slow transaction fees, and that there's no correlation between their transaction speed and their price. So if internet service providers decide uh, to start attacking some of these blockchain services, then uh, I think that could that could be a signal to investors that like, hey, there's actually something behind this tech, and I think that really could backfire for the ISPs. So let's say that neutrality does. Uh, disappear and suddenly ISPs are free to charge different, create different bundles for uh, different websites or different services. So, say they they that does happen. Well, that's very likely to hurt players like Google or Amazon or Netflix, people who uh, are uh, like large applications uh, and people are constantly streaming them. ISPs are likely to to throttle those services. Like, hey, these people are taking up a lot of my resource. So I'm going to charge people extra who use this. But now that same argument, I don't think really carries over to cryptocurrencies. I don't think these cryptocurrencies are consuming a lot of uh, network resources. Yeah, they're consuming a lot of power, but they're not really consuming a lot of bandwidth. And that's what what ISPs are most concerned about. So if an ISP decides, hey, you know, we're going to take a stance against these cryptocurrencies, it's not the same effect as taking a stance against a company. Because these cryptocurrencies, their value is not measured like a stock where it's measured in like the PE ratio. Uh, a cryptocurrency's value is really... Not, it's, We haven't even agreed to what the value of a cryptocurrency is. So if you can like somehow cut off access to the cryptocurrency's bandwidth, then that might slow down transaction fees. But we don't really know that transaction fee is a function of a value. So uh, it's a lot easier to make an argument for how this affects a, like a business, a standard business, than it is to make, uh, argue or hypothesize like how this affects the decentralized payment method.
0: And what is that issue in trying to find... The value of cryptocurrency. Why is that still so difficult um, to set sort of a, a base level?
1: Yeah, well, it's because um, I don't. know I think it's pretty fascinating. So uh, we really don't even know <laughs> why like regular currencies have value. Like we just say like oh, it's backed by the good faith and honor of like the U.S. government, or uh, just because a lot of people are using it, therefore we think it has value. But with cryptocurrencies, it's pretty different. People aren't using them. People are holding them. So uh, the the thing to notice here is the velocity of money. So uh, the, the money isn't moving around a lot. It's just being held. Uh, so th- people start like realizing, hey, like right now we're, we're sort of calculating the value of each cr- uh, cryptocurrency and comparing it to other cryptocurrencies by comparing their market cap. So we say, hey, these are the total number of coins. This is the price of one coin right now. So therefore, we multiply these two things and that's the value of it. But what people start realizing is that, like, sure, that makes sense in the traditional st- investment uh, market because these things are companies. These things are generating cash flows. Uh, so, uh, owning a small piece of it and like expecting a dividend, yeah, you can make an argument for market cap. But uh, people start realizing that that same argument really isn't a valid argument in cryptocurrency. So these aren't companies. These aren't generating cash flows. So the market cap uh, valuation method isn't isn't necessarily the right one. So the, the the first step to go from there is like we'll start introducing the velocity of money. Start figuring out how much is this money moving around to figure out um, how much it's worth. Uh, so like a good thought experiment here uh, is like in 2007, the recession hit, the, uh, the Fed started this experiment of quantitative easing, which is basically just adding more money into supply. Um, so you would expect to see inflation with new money added into the, into our money supply, but we, we haven't seen much inflation since 2007. So why haven't we seen inflation? Well, it's because of the velocity of money because all the money that that the Federal Reserve put out into the money supply in 2007 through quantitative easing was not given to the individuals, but it was rather given to the banks, and all this money ha- hasn't really trickled down. It's being held in excess reserves. So, for example, I think if the monetary base in 2006 was 3.7 trillion, that's the total amount of money in supply, but 2.2 trillion of this is held in hidden. Uh, I mean, it's held in excess reserves by. Goldman Sachs and these big players. So that means 2.2 out of 3.7 is completely out of the picture. So therefore, the velocity of money is pretty low. So this money's not moving around. So it's not like everybody feels like, hey, I suddenly have more money now. There's more inflation. Um, so that that velocity of money factor of the equation is a very important part. We realize like, hey, these things are just because it's like there's a certain number of coins out there and they're going at this certain price. You can that's not a r- really good way to measure this cryptocurrency to compare it with another cryptocurrency let's instead agree upon the standards like the conventions and maybe a good convention is how much are people how fast are people turning over these coins but we still haven't even agreed to them <laughs> we still like the velocity money's just like scratching the surface but really all these cryptocurrencies aren't the same thing so a lot of them have different uh value propositions so if something is like the buzzword being used right now is utility token. If something is promising you utility, it's saying like, hey, you can use this, this coin and this coin is the only payment method within this certain environment. Uh, it's like your entry into that environment uh, or into participating in, in that environment. Then it's not, it's not necessarily like this utility token can't be valued and compared with something that has a different value proposition where it's like trying to be like a security token or it's trying to be something else. Uh, So it's really hard to, like, try to put everything in one bucket and then say, like, okay, everything in this bucket, we're going to use this convention to measure them and compare one to the other.
0: Right. Yeah, it's basically like working backwards, almost seeing the way that cryptocurrency is used and, and the flow of it and then defining the value instead of trying to define the value in the first place and then, you know, basically guessing incorrectly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, clearly, cryptocurrency is continuing to evolve. It's new emerging technology that hasn't really settled in completely. So, are businesses even venturing into cryptocurrency? What is the relationship like between, you know, a a cryptocurrency and a small business or a large business? Is it even a factor?
1: Yeah, um, I think think a lot of businesses are slow to move into this uh, industry because it's not clear... We haven't made a good argument for what the value of this cryptocurrency is, so it's not clear why businesses should move into it. Some businesses are eager and try to be early movers and decide, hey, you know, we're going to accept this new payment method. Um, Dell is actually one of those examples. Dell has been accepting Bitcoin on their website for like at least six years. Overstock.com, all these other players who uh, were kind of like uh, forward thinking and decided to, hey, we might, we don't know necessarily how we could adopt this technology as a competitive advantage, but we'll go ahead and accept it as a payment method. That was, I think, the first move. And now the second move is like, how do we leverage this this technology and actually gain a competitive advantage from it? So um that's where the transition from Bitcoin to blockchain is sort of apparent. Everybody is like, oh yeah, Bitcoin, there's a lot of uh price variance, there's a lot of movement, there's a lot of uh hesitation to move in because it feels like a sketchy technology used um and developed by unknown people. So instead of going and carrying that taint over to my brand, I'm going to instead like only extract what I think is valuable of Bitcoin, which is this blockchain thing. Uh, so a lot of companies have started to adopt blockchain. And I think one really cool example that I've uh, recently uh, learned about is uh, the, the uh, medical marijuana industry in all these states where it's legal, uh, even though it's legal at a state level, at a federal level is unclear. So all these people are just sitting on cash. They're not able to deposit that money or put this money back into the economy where it can be lent out to small businesses. Uh, so there's people in this industry who are, who are like reported to be sitting on upwards of $200 million in cash and can't do anything with it. So they, these people are highly incentivized to move that money uh, or at least adopt a blockchain solution that lets them um, accept traditional payment methods. And in the background, like the user doesn't even have to know. It's, it could be a complete background thing, but in the background, it's actually... Uh, you're not even like paying for that elite paying for the weed or paying for whatever you're supposed to be paying for you're actually just buying tokens and then uh, the local dispensaries selling their their stake of tokens uh, for dollars so there are little loopholes that people are taking advantage of blockchains uh, blockchain's decentralized consensus uh, mechanism people have realized hey man we can lower our hosting costs we can I mean there's a lot of uh, Promise in the blockchain, but really what, what's actually there for you to implement today is very small. So I think a lot of what businesses are doing to actually implement crypto, I mean, blockchain solutions, uh, is better off in the background. It's not necessarily something the consumer even has to be aware of. It's just something in the background that you did to reduce an inefficiency uh, that helps give you a little more competitive advantage.
0: So basically, a business would create its own decentralized currency system and then a customer wouldn't even know that that's what they're paying for. They would still get their product the same way and pay the same amount of money. But when that money goes to the company, they treat it like the consumer is buying a a token within their new personalized unique currency system and then that is is then funded yep. back through their, their money supply.
1: Yeah, so this this is where it gets kind of interesting because if i just create a token and it's a private token just for myself and i never plan on listing it on any exchange it's not really a currency so it's still like got the blockchain and crypto aspect but it's not really a currency so a lot of these people realize like hey we can leverage this technology and this could be a way to swap money and to make your money legal but let's never actually try to put this on an exchange and make it a currency so we're not it's not our cryptocurrency it's just some crazy technology that's in the background that's just a database that's letting us take your money and um, letting us make it legal for this vendor.
0: And so, is all of that legal? It sounds yeah. it sounds a little sketch, but
1: uh. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, the legal zone. in there, I really I'm not 100 sure on, but that's I think the most exciting uh, part of this crypto is that it really highlights like the these like gray zones legally, and it's like, hey, this technology can actually be put in place today to take advantage of this thing that we thought was just a hypothetical. Uh, we can actually take advantage of it today. So that's just the, the cool example. There's countless examples that aren't as cool, which are just like IBM uh, creating blockchain solutions for for supply chain management stuff. So if I want to know if I'm a big company like Dell or something, and I've got inventories throughout the world, and I've got all these crazy logistics I'm trying to worry about, I don't want to have to pay to host all this information, and I also want it to be in real time. I don't want any latency. So p- part of the uh, Part of the promise of blockchain is like, hey, you can have a decentralized database, uh, which is always synced up in real time. So big uh, supply chain management, this is like the less the less sexy version of blockchain. (laughs) Big supply chain management, people have implemented supply chain blockchains. So again, it's not like a currency that you can go out and buy. But for instance, Walmart or one of these big players, it's just something in the background. You don't even I think that's the best way to do it. Not even like. It should feel like a perfect substitute for the consumer or the customer where they don't even realize that they're interacting with a different type
0: of technology. So now taking all of that and linking it back to net neutrality, uh, how is this usage of blockchain technology by businesses being affected by internet security, by ISPs, and how would the concept of net neutrality, whether, it's, um, whether it remains or whether it's repealed, would affect that relationship?
1: Yeah, see, I don't think it's a coincidence that we're talking about these two things at the same time. I think one of the big, uh, one of the big values in the crypto community is this idea that you should own your privacy. Um, and we see that same argument being made now in the net neutrality world. It's like, hey, for the longest time, we've trusted regulation to be done at the application layer which means we didn't want ISPs to have the right to throttle us or to discriminate based on what websites I use. Instead, I want I want um, the regulations to be in place by by the actual websites I'm using. So I want Google to have their own terms and services and Twitter to have their own terms and service. So for the longest time, we had this emphasis on like, hey, we can actually solve these problems by letting the applications figure it out. And it never has to be a problem with ISPs. But then we started to see uh, these applications like, take advantage these applications to find their own terms and services and then on a whim just kick users off who they didn't agree with politically uh, and then a bunch of users started saying like hey like that's not cool and then take it a step further Facebook is just extracting value from its users it's reached this top this top curve of the S curve where the easiest way for Facebook to add value to their companies is to take it away from a user uh, extract it directly from a user so people started saying like this model of advertising and Like making money by putting junk ads in my face that I never actually click on. This is an antiquated model. I rather own my own privacy. And if I'm going to sell it to somebody, I want it to be tokenized. And I want to be the one who gains from this, not this middleman, which is an application. So uh, I I really do think net neutrality and cryptocurrencies are are one central theme that our society is like propping up. It's this idea of decentralization and it's this idea of you owning your own data. And and then this net neutrality thing—it's it's, it's kind of twisted because you—I don't know—the term it makes you feel like it's it's a good thing. It's like, of course, I want the net to, to be new, neutral. I don't want anybody to have priority over anybody else. But but that's not what we're seeing. Like right now with with I don't know if you're familiar with the Daily Stormer or, or all, any of these sites that Google has um, single-handedly just like reached out to. To domain name services and told them, hey, if you don't take this internet internet site down, we're going to cut you off. So a bunch of people who just have their own ideas are being cut off from the internet because they're not making applications happy. So this net neutrality is a big shift of power from the IS, from the power lying right now at the application layer to the power moving, transitioning over to the ISP layer. And it's not like the internet service providers never had the right to throttle. <laughs> the ISPs could have throttled whenever they wanted to up until Obama instated the law. I think title two. So ISPs have had the ability to throttle, but they never did it because <laughs> ISPs for the most part exist in a competitive landscape where if they lower, if they lower your speeds then somebody's going to, you know, the customers are going to be happy. They're going to move over to something else. Um, but the same isn't true for the applications. The applications can do something like kick you off Twitter because they don't like your tweets. And it's not a very competitive landscape. It's not like you can tr- easily transition to, to something that some other social media that's a perfect substitute for Twitter. So I really I do see this as one argument, and I do think that if net neutrality, if these ISPs decide that they want to pick on cryptocurrencies, I think that's going to be that's going to be the ditch they decide to die in because that's only going to accelerate developers' vision, de- developers' desire to build something that cannot be taken down by any legislation or by any single Silicon Valley player.
0: Yeah, I mean, basically, it sounds like. Just like we're seeing in most industries, people really are valuing their individualism and their privacy, and it's such a big conversation everywhere, and so it's really interesting to see that people are valuing it so much here with, obviously, their money, which everyone cares about but then also their internet which everyone cares about and it connects everything and finding ways to just make that more secure more decentralized right with blockchain technology but also just more private and more personalized seems like the way everything's going so yeah you know it's it's really interesting to hear this take on everything and thank you so much for coming on the podcast and helping me better understand you know how net neutrality and cryptocurrency all work together to affect businesses
1: yeah, thank you for having me.
0: And thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast. And if you'd like to learn more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. Till next time.